Hey, this is Michael Vaughn. Welcome to our second podcast. This is actually the third part of our Come Follow Me sermon series here in August, and we hope that you enjoy the message today, uh, that it helps you uh, grow in your faith and grow as a disciple of Jesus. Today, uh, I'm going to be reading uh, Luke 22, beginning with uh, chapter, I mean, verse 4. Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some, of, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted Certainly this fellow is with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Word of God, people of God. So have you ever done something you regretted? I think most of us have, regardless of our age. I guess a better question based off that passage of Scripture is, have you ever done something you're ashamed of? I mean, something that if, if we could play it right now in that like Instagram boomerang thing that just goes over and over and over and over, would it be that thing that that's truly caused shame in your life, that if other people saw it and you watched it on the screen today, you would literally just want to curl up into a ball and die. That's kind of what I think we're talking about today with this passage of Scripture. I know it's a little different way for me to start a sermon. Not start now with the funny joke. Not start now with the turn to your neighbor and say whatever. Because I think what's important is letting Scripture say what it says. And as we read this passage of Scripture, the last verses that Mark read were that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. And that's where we're starting this today. With that image of Peter so overwhelmed that he's outside weeping. See, the first two weeks of this series, it's a seven-week series, moving from membership to discipleship, and my prayer is that as we go through this series, we're looking at the life of Simon Peter, we see how he grew as a disciple, and we're seeing that in our own lives. How are we growing as a disciple of Jesus? Because that's really what the goal of all of this is. It's not that we're here on Sunday morning and we can account that as attendance. It's not that we have people joining the church so we count that as membership. How are we growing as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus? When we started the first two weeks, Peter is like the rock star of disciples. I mean, he's fishing with his brother Simon in week one. Jesus says, come, follow me. 
They leave their jobs, man. They leave their nets and they head down the Sea of Galilee following Jesus. That's pretty cool discipleship, okay? Our word for the week was follow. Last week, we read a passage of scripture in Matthew 16 and Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's pretty cool discipleship too. And our word last week we focused on was confession, as in Peter's affirmation, his confession of his faith. And then this week, the word that we're focused on that's in your bulletin is failure. Because that's what we see Peter doing. And I guess what I wanted to remind us is that the life of being a disciple is not always a straight line. Right? It's not even always upward. It's not even always linear. Sometimes being a disciple is like this, man. All right? Sometimes being a disciple is, is we're moving forward a little bit and then there's some failure in our life. And what makes a disciple is at that moment of failure, what do we do? Where do we turn when we fail? And how is our reaction a symbol of our faith and our discipleship when we fail? Because I hope you get it that what we're talking about today is Peter's failure. And it's a pretty big deal. Not once, not twice, but three times he says he doesn't even know Jesus. And see, I think that the, the context is important too. Luke chapter 22, which is where Mark was reading from today, he just jumped in at like verse 54. There's a whole lot of stuff that's been happening before that. See, the beginning of Luke chapter 22 starts out with a story of Judas agreeing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's how the story starts. But then after that event, then we're told that Jesus gathered together his disciples in an upper room and they sat around the table. And Jesus, after the Passover dinner, took bread. He gave thanks. He blessed the bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. And after the supper, he took the cup of wine. He gave thanks. He blessed it. He gave it to each of his disciples, including Judas, who had just betrayed him, and including Peter, who is soon to disown him three times. He gave that to each of them and said, This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then they got together and they sang a song because they loved singing hymns because Jesus was a Methodist. And then they headed out. To, we, can, we can scratch that part when we post it to the spotlight. And the whole thing about Presbyterians not being great God. So then they headed out to the garden. Jesus prayed. Jesus is arrested. That's where Mark picked up when they seized him. Those are the Roman soldiers who are coming up to seize Jesus because Judas let them know where Jesus was going to be and who Jesus was in the crowd by a kiss that he gave Jesus. And, and then we come into this story of Peter's betrayal. And it starts out, before we get into anything else that, that he did, we are told that Peter followed, did you catch that? At a distance. I, I believe part of the reason why Peter ended up where he was was because at this moment in his life, he's following Jesus at, at a distance. Did you know you can be in church every Sunday and be following Jesus 
at a distance? Did you know you can stand up and sing every hymn and every praise song or lip sync it? And because that's obvious too, I'm just saying. And, 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 you know, be in this part of worship, but your heart still be following Jesus at a distance. Did you know we can put on all of the looks of being a put-together disciple of Jesus and still be following Jesus at a distance? I think where we're following will determine our actions when we're faced in a situation that we don't know how to react to. A situation that at that moment is truly going to test our faith. Have we been following close to the one who is leading as we're heading around the zigzag of life? Or have we started to get a little tired and we're lagging back a little bit like we know where he's going to go anyway somehow? We have no clue sometimes, I think, where God is leading us. That's why we've got to stay close to where Jesus is to where he makes an unexpected turn that we're right there. Or that when he says something, we can hear what it is that we're saying. Even if we're in an Uber in Texas, and God is saying, hey, ask that driver if he knows me. What if God gives us every day that opportunity, right? We talk about how we're supposed to share our Christian faith, what being a disciple is. What if God every day gave us an opportunity of, hey, ask that student if they know me. Oh, you can do that, right? Ask that teacher, man, if they know me. Ask your child if they know me. Ask your supermarket clerk. I'm going to be honest, there were times at Dollar General, and I've shared this with you before, where with my mom, there were some days I would be like, oh, here we go, because she, uh, Dollar General, most people go in, you can spend $10 and get a lot of stuff. Mom liked to spend like $150, because everything's a dollar, right? You never know what you're going to need, and she had to be so stocked up on those little candy bars for the kids in that one drawer that it was just, anyway. So... But she would be having that conversation. She was okay with that cashier who does not want to be there is making a whopping $7.25 per hour scanning those items with mom telling her just how good Jesus is today. Do you know, do you know Jesus? What a question, right? What a question. But I think God gives us these opportunities. If we're following close, we're going to hear those things. Here, Peter was not following close to Jesus. So by the time he denies Jesus three times, we're told that Jesus turns around in verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered, right? It's a picture, right? So, so Jesus looks at him, and as soon as Jesus looks at him, Peter remembers the word the Lord has spoken to him. I want you to keep that thought in your mind, okay? That Jesus looked at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Hold on to that thought, and we're going to come back to it in just a minute. And then the rooster crowed. Now that's important, too, because also in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says this um, in verse 34. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. The rooster crowing is that signal that what Jesus had said would happen now has actually happened. Have you ever done something that made you feel ashamed was the question that we started with. Because I think, I think that the enemy, because you know you've got an enemy, right? 
Hang on, we're going to work into this because yes. Peter's got an enemy too yes, that, that's at play in this whole situation. Yes, I think the enemy will try to take what you did and try to convince you that what you did is who you are. See, see there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt can be a wonderful gift that God gives you to convict you of what you've done. Shame, on the other hand, takes what you've done and you eternalize that. And this is who I am now. I'm who I am because of what I've done. And that's the difference between guilt and shame. And Peter wept not just because he failed in that moment. Peter wept bitterly outside because he felt that he was a failure. I want to take two passages of Scripture real quick. One's going to be over here, and one's going to be over here, and then hopefully by the working of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, they're going to tie back together right here in Luke chapter 22. So will you all do this with me? Yes. Okay, good. One person. Thank you, Evan, for doing this. Great. So let's look at Revelation chapter... She's already heard it once. Revelation chapter 12 is the first place. This is going to be up here is Revelation chapter 12, Okay. Now, if you're not familiar, a little context on Revelation 12 before we get into it. There was a period of time where God had worked on, on creating His masterpieces. And one of the angels that God created, His name was Lucifer. Sound familiar? Right? Lucifer wanted to be at one with God, right? It was his pride that led a rebellion against God. He wanted to be God Himself. And he looked good. He's smart. Right? He, he's sharp. He dresses well. All these are gifts of God, right? But, but he in turn, he's like, this is me. I'm... So there's another, about a third of the angels who follow Lucifer. Now, if you go back in Genesis, this, this event of casting, have you heard of that? Casting Lucifer and these angels out of heaven. That happens sometime between Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We're getting a glimpse of it in Revelation 10. John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. Who's that referring to? Jesus. Jesus. Everybody say, that's Jesus. Jesus. Alright, so we got that. And then he goes on to say, for the accuser, who's that referring to? Devil. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Who's the brothers and sisters? We are. We are. So the accuser of us who accuses them before God Day and night has been hurled down. So up here we've got the accuser, and he's accusing you, and he's accusing me before God, not just occasionally, not just when we mess up a little bit, not just when we mess up a lot, but all day long and all night long. The accuser is the one who is accusing. And it's just this constant, you, I know what you did last summer. I know what you did last night. Do you remember what you did? How do you feel about it? Are you feeling like shame? Do you feel like crap because of what you've done? You are worthless. You're no good. And that's the accuser, right? Do y'all know you've got an accuser? Yeah. And it is this constant barrage all the time. But see, there's more than an accuser. If you flip over, this is the other one over here. If you flip over to John chapter 14, I preached on this uh, in June, and I know that because two of my favorite women, other than my wife, would mark in their Bibles when I preached on sermons. One of them's already in heaven with Jesus, and the other one's here today. So I preached on this, but John chapter 14 is about Jesus is saying, look guys, I'm going to go away. 
right? But I'm going to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come and be with you always. In particular, what Jesus says in verse uh, 16 is, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So on one side, where was it? Was the accuser, the accuser, right? He's accusing you all the time. Blah, 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 blah. That's what it sounds like to God. It's like the Peanuts character, right? The teacher just on and on and on and on. So you've got an accuser. Can I tell you this morning? You also got an advocate. Amen. You don't just have to listen to the accusations that have been brought against you on your past because you have, a, you have an advocate who is not concerned about that anymore. And I tell you why he's not concerned about that anymore. Because that record of sin and shame and guilt has already been wiped clean. See, Jesus died on the cross for that thing that you did thousands of years before you ever did that thing that you did. So when you did do that thing, you would turn to Him and that occurrence has already been covered with His blood. But the devil is good at temptation. But he's a master at accusation. He's good at trying to get us to do something we shouldn't do. But he's even better at trying to convince us to shame us that what we've done is not just what we did, but it's who we are. And that thing that now we've internalized and we're like, this is just who I am. So now we're not taking that thing we did and taking it to Jesus to ask for forgiveness, which is what He's waiting on because He knew you were going to do that thing before you ever did it. He knew it was 30 pieces of silver. He knew it was, I don't know him, three times. He knew that, but he has already offered the way of forgiveness before you ever did the thing. He's just waiting for you to come and ask for the forgiveness so that he can give that forgiveness that he's already taken care of and promised to you and planned on. But we spend so much time listening to an accuser who has already been cast out of heaven, already to the point that God said, that's enough. I'm not listening to this anymore. That's my girl. That's my boy. Out of heaven you go. He has been cast down so that we can be lifted up by the grace of God. But we spend so much time listening to an accuser. That's the only A word I'm going to use to call him today. That we don't spend enough time listening to the advocate. But it's the advocate who defends God's children. I was teaching, um, substitute teaching, Jonesboro Middle School once. And I love substitute teaching. I don't get a chance to do it uh, very much anymore, maybe once a year. But I was substitute teaching. I don't even remember what class it was. There was this kid who had done something. He was working on whatever the problem it was. And it was wrong. It was just, there's no way, you know, sometimes it's either right or wrong. This was wrong, right? So I was wanting to help him. And I was like, well, I see why you did it that way. But that's that's not right. So let's, let's look at it this way. Ah, I'm so stupid. He's in seventh grade. And he's calling himself stupid. You're 40. You're 70. And you're calling yourself stupid. 
20? And you say you're stupid? What? I don't think that's listening to the voice of the advocate, man. I think that's listening to the voice of the accuser. And we have a choice what voice that we're going to listen to. Look at somebody and say, you've got a choice. Of what voice that we're listening to. See, the accuser doesn't just say that you did wrong. He says you are wrong. He doesn't just say that you messed up. He says you are messed up. He doesn't just say that you did something stupid. And can I be honest and say right here, Peter did something stupid. But he says you are stupid. And then, Luke says, the rooster crowed. And now every morning when Peter wakes up, he gets to hear that same rooster crow. He gets that same reminder of what he's done and who he is morning after morning and day after day after day after day. I don't know if anybody can relate to this or not, but this is right where Peter is. I was asked great, last week a great theological question, and the question was, can you be rebaptized? And the short answer is no, but if you have a question about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. But if anybody needed to be rebaptized because they had messed up so royally, it would have been Peter. And then the rooster crowed. I wonder what roosters are crowing in your mind today. But what images is the accuser trying to personalize on you today to tell you that this is who you are because of what you did? And every morning you've got the rooster crowing in your face. And we let him. I said, we let him. And you may be thinking, but Michael, you don't know what I did. I deserve it. Well, I would say there's a lot of things that we deserve. Can I tell you a little something called grace that you don't deserve? See, 2 Corinthians 12, Jesus told Paul, My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. In Romans 3.20, y'all know this one by heart, right? All have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. I see churches in like Christmas parades and that's what they put on their float. And that's it. I get, I get it. This is an important verse. We need to get there. But that's not the end of the story, okay? There's more to come, right? That was just Act 1. We're in Act 2 now. Yes, we've all sinned and fell short of the glory of God, but the next verse says, and we are all justified freely by His grace Amen. through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians 2 says it is by grace that you have been saved. So Jesus looked Peter right in the eye. I want to say this morning, grace is looking you right in the eye. Not because you deserve it. Grace is looking you in the eye because you don't deserve it. And it's exactly what we need. It's, that's what makes grace so amazing. That's how we don't have to always continue listening to the rooster preached this sermon an hour ago. I actually had one person after the service say, I got a rooster I need to kill. Well, maybe it's time we kill that rooster that is in the yard. Do you know what I'm saying? All right. Because the blade has already been put there. And we remember this whole situation occurred because Peter followed at a distance. And even though Jesus told Peter you're going to mess up, man. This is going to happen. He also told him something else. 
in verse 22 of that chapter, 32, I'm sorry. Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother. When, when you have turned, you're going to do this, you are going to fall far and fall hard, and there's going to be some consequences for this, but you don't have to stay down because your accuser has been hurled down so you can be lifted up in the name of Jesus, right? So Jesus says, when you have turned back, not if you turn back, not maybe if you turn back, but when you turn back. Today is the day I feel like somebody is ready to turn back. Today is the day I feel like somebody is ready to kill a rooster. But Peter, Peter, can I say this is like close? Peter was following at a distance, which is why he said, I don't know. I believe that when we follow at a distance, we forget the word the Lord spoke to. I believe that when Peter followed at a distance, he forgot that Jesus said, Who am I? And Peter said, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I think Peter forgot that. I think Peter forgot the day that he's walking on water. He takes his eyes off of Jesus for just a second and he starts to sink, and Jesus reaches in and pulls him back out. I think he forgot that. I think he forgot the day that he's with James and John on Mount Hermon. And he sees Jesus transfigured in all of his glory and Moses and Elisha there. I think he forgot that. I think he forgot that Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. But following at a distance, I think he forgot that. I think that the further behind we follow Jesus, the more likely we are to forget. Today I want to ask you, where are you following? And do you remember the word the Lord has spoken? Pray with me. Gracious and loving God, I thank you that you are always calling us back to yourself. God, help us stay close enough to you that we can hear your words, love, and grace. That we can hear our advocate speak of our salvation and not the accuser speak of our shame. God, help us stop playing that tape over and over and over. God, help us move past that into the redemption that you have offered. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For our closing song today, I'm just going to ask you just to, to stay seated where you are and feel this as a, as a time of, of worship. Also, I want to say it's so cool having musical options in a church. I mean, Hugh and Margaret are on vacation. Laura Beth couldn't be here, and yet we are still blessed with some wonderful, talented music. So today, as you hear this song, think about where you are following Jesus. And if the rooster needs to die, can we bring the rooster here this morning and go ahead and cut the head off the rooster? I'm just wondering. Yeah. So that we can leave here as the child of God that you are calling you would like to come and kneel and pray this morning, this altar is open. If you want to pray with me, I'm available to you.